Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Veronica Shimey. She's Vice President of International Policy and Sustainability at the National Mining Association. In her position, Veronica has spearheaded efforts to examine the confluence of international relations, trade policy, and sustainability. She's been instrumental in pushing her organization to evaluate how sustainable practices will shape the mining industry's future, leading the firm's Environmental, Social, and Governance Task Force. Before joining the National Mining Association, Veronica consulted on international oil, gas, and mining projects for the World Bank Group. I met her there with a particular research focus on small-scale mining and its impacts on communities in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Additionally, Veronica is the vice chair of the U.S. Department of Commerce Industry Trade Advisory Committee on Critical Minerals and Non-Ferrous Metals. It's actually quite an important committee, and I'm going to look forward to talking to Veronica about that. I'm podcasting Veronica today to discuss the evolution of the global appetite for critical minerals, their impact on U.S. national security and trade policy, and how growing U.S. demand will need to be met with significant investments in the domestic mining and processing industries. Veronica, thanks for joining us. Sure thing, Dan. So I can't believe we first met at the World Bank Group when we were both 12 years old working <laughs> working at the World Bank Group. And now several years later, we're on a Zoom call together doing this podcast. Thanks for making time. Yeah, it's amazing how great we look, although I'm glad this won't be visual, just audio. <laughs> it's the theater of the mind. <laughs> so tell, I know about you, but tell my listeners about yourself and your career, Veronica. All right. Well, maybe what you may not be aware of is that I did my master's in Spain in peace and development, or somehow that can be quite contradictory. After my master's, I supported a couple of community projects in Puerto Rico before coming back to the mainland to work at the World Bank. I really loved the years that I worked at the World Bank and the countries and the communities that really appreciated mining and how mining could reap the benefits if that was done correctly. It was really empowering work. I loved working with communities, identifying opportunities for sustainable development and economic independence and really improving people's lives. It was a little shocking then when I went to the NMA in 2013 to hear that the U.S., general public wasn't so enthusiastic about mining, despite having the robust legal and regulatory frameworks available and more modern mines, but I'm sure we will get into that. So tell us about NMA. What is the NMA and what's its mission? The NMA is the only trade organization that serves the voice of U.S. mining before Congress, federal agencies, judiciary, the media, and really advocating for public policies that will help America fully and responsibly utilize its vast natural resources. We work to ensure that the United States has secure and reliable supply chains, abundant and affordable energy, and the U.S. sourced materials necessary for manufacturing, economic security, all being delivered under world-leading environmental labor and safety standards. 
We're headquartered here in DC and we have a membership of over 250 companies and organizations that are involved in any aspect of mining from producers to equipment manufacturers and service providers. So why should every American care about mining? Well, America's mining industry supplies the essentials that are really necessary for every sector of our economy. Technology to healthcare to energy, transportation, infrastructure, national security. Success in our energy transition is really going to rely on the availability of critical minerals necessary for the advanced technology required to make it happen. In the global minerals race, we're actually losing. So I, I'm pretty sure we're going to get into it. But the U.S. challenge isn't geology, that we don't have the geology. We have vast mineral resources. It's our policies that don't support the sector or provide business certainty and are actually driving investment away from U.S. What are the stakes? So if we want to have electric vehicles... If we want to have solar panels, we want to have sophisticated electronics or driverless cars. My understanding is we need something like 40 times the amount of lithium. That's just sort of one example. Or there's copper is an important part of this. Cobalt's another. There's others that critical minerals is something that you all, I'm sure, think about. And so people have heard that term. What are critical minerals? Am I right? Isn't that basically it's part of it is like getting the minerals. Then it's like extracting minerals out of a rock and then turning it, processing it, and turning it into metals. Isn't that basically, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into like having a smartphone, like an iPhone, before you hit the iPhone, right? Yeah, there are, I don't know, more than 66 minerals, I think, in an iPhone. And, and the chips that we all have in our credit cards also require a plethora of critical minerals and rare earths. That's why people always talk about national security in this. For example, lithium's going to be increasing by 40-fold and nickel and cobalt and graphite, more than 25% by 2040. Copper, that there really is no replacement for the wiring for electrification. The annual demand alone is going to be projected by 2050 to reach the level that's equal to everything that we've consumed up until now. So from 1900 to 2021. But I think the key point is that we're not developing the policies here in the United States to actually realize the goals that will meet those energy demand. Canada, Australia, UK, even the EU, they all just released roadmaps for how to increase their domestic mineral production, working with urgency to streamline mine permitting and reducing regulatory burden in the mining sector, all while providing the incentives to encourage the production of minerals that are going to underpin that strategy and the technology that we require. The U.S. is not doing it. And to the contrary, our administration actually came out with recommendations that would do the exact opposite and drive investment away. So we're really hoping to work with the U.S. government to incentivize domestic mining. You can reduce your overall footprint of the supply chain. We can increase our environmental, social, and governance operational bar and control over it by producing here in the United States. So we prefer to have that be our priority before turning overseas for mineral production. What are the kinds of policies that the NMA would like to see that would allow for more domestic production and processing of minerals? What are sort of those policies that your organization suggests are important if we're going to achieve the carbon transition, protect ourselves from not being dependent on China, that processes something like 40% of these critical minerals. What are the steps we need to take to protect ourselves? Yeah, I mean, then I would 
I would break that question up into two parts, focusing on the domestic first and then maybe the international sense. They're both very important. And if we're going to increase our domestic and international supply chains, we have to do it responsibly and work together in this global race. So domestically, I would say that everything points to our permitting system in the United States and the urgency to improve upon it. We really need regulatory certainty. The unfortunate recommendations, many of them that just came out of the White House, really turn on its end the mining permitting system here in the United States, and that will drive our investment away. We need shorter timelines for mine permitting. We need more efficiency. Again, that's without environmental shortcuts. We need fixed timelines for judicial review. We need one-stop shop permitting. The IWG recommendations did include some low-hanging fruit that we can do moving forward, and we're appreciative of the administration for that, and we hope that the administration will follow through. But some of the other items that they included in that will absolutely have us be losing this mineral resources race with other countries and divert investment away from the United States. And it really shows us that the administration isn't really interested in having the, the mining be domestic, that they're really looking for international resources to meet the U.S.'s mineral demand. So to that end, we would then highlight the importance of including trade policy that protects our sectors and U.S. operators into the conversations that are happening right now with U.S. and EU and Canada, for example, but then other countries where the U.S. does not have a critical minerals agreement, like with Japan or other countries. And so right now, trade policy isn't protecting our U.S. companies. There are no protections in place on those parties. The timeline horizons don't extend to the life of a mine or even as the amount of time that would be required to get a permit for a mine. They just increase our geopolitical risk, for example, and countries that may be our allies now may not be our allies in the future. And as each of these countries try to increase their own demand for their own populations, the definition of an ally may ebb and flow. And currently with our official allies under the USMCA, Mexico is not treating certain mines with national treatment. U.S. mines with national treatment and therefore really creating an instability in that supply chain, having those commodities not come back to the United States. Tell folks about what China's doing in the mining and mineral space, because I think this is something that's not really fully understood. China has the ability to streamline permitting, streamline reform, streamline their supply chains and stockpile their minerals and impact pricing and can really influence the market in this way. People always talk about reducing their reliance on China or reducing our reliance on the Democratic Republic of Congo for cobalt, for example. Well, we have a producer in the United States that has been fighting for a permit, I think for about 20 years, but does have that permit now and is ready to start production. But this year they were not able to start production because for many reasons, but perhaps also because China's flooding the market with cobalt and the price has plummeted and now it's not economically viable for this company to operate in the United States. And our companies are required to also make good business decisions and have their investors have a return on that investment. 
And so it's not about the lack of availability of these critical minerals in the United States. It's about the policies that impacting critical mineral supply chains. And in this case, it's China causing problems. If I said the Western Hemisphere, could the United States meet all of its mining and mineral needs just in the Western Hemisphere? The reason that we don't talk about critical minerals, for example, or comment on one critical minerals list versus another critical minerals list, because we think that all minerals are critical moving forward. Technology is developing so rapidly, and we don't know what percentage of components or commodities will be required for each of these technologies. It's important to advance all minerals and have all countries work on their legal and regulatory frameworks to develop their mines responsibly and for themselves so that everybody can be advancing their mineral deposits. Even with permitting systems that are efficient and have the high environmental, social, and governance bar that we expect, that still can take two to five years in the best of countries. And so the timeline horizon for getting mines online varies greatly. And so everybody should be advancing their mineral resources wherever they are. Do we need to think differently? I mean, is is there going to be a significant need to increase the mining and metals processing workforce in the United States to meet the, you know, assuming that the regulatory framework worked and the environment worked, we're going to need a lot more people in these industries going forward. Is that true? Yeah, I forget that we're not face-to-face because I'm nodding my head and it's true and we're actually seeing an influx in NMA membership for companies that are taking advantage of the IRA and incentives of minerals processing coming to the United States. That is an area that the administration is supporting. And obviously, we support getting this technology, getting the expertise back to the United States so we can reduce the overall supply chain of these commodities. Because if we are mining them here and we're still processing them in China, we actually haven't won the battle of closing the loop on our mineral supply chain. So we definitely support bringing home, bringing back home minerals processing and having those that expertise here. Good. Okay. Well, look, Veronica, I just think that we've been doing a lot of work on trying to get smarter about mining minerals and metals processing. I wrote a piece in The Hill about this. If we want to achieve the carbon transition, if you want to have a fourth industrial revolution, decarbonization doesn't mean dematerialization. We're just going to have to learn to love mining and minerals in a deep, profound way. And I'm of the belief that we haven't, I think, either in Washington or around the world made all the steps we need to take to enable more mining and metals processing. That's why I wanted to have you on, because I think we're going to have to just assuming that we're going to, quote unquote, get all of our metals from Argentina or Chile or Bolivia or all our metals from Congo, I think we're kidding ourselves. We need to understand that this is a a global phenomenon, including and especially the United States and including especially North America. And so we need to understand that this is going to be a much bigger part of our future and that this is going to be in a growing sector and something that whether it's tech or renewables or electric vehicles or any a number of other different industries – We're going to need a lot more metals and we're going to need to enable private investment for that mining and mineral processing to happen. So I really appreciate you coming on today to educate our colleagues. Are there any places if I don't know if you I'm sure you've developed a series of white papers. If I wanted to go get get smarter about this, what's the NMA website? Now, there are certain reports you'd want to direct people's attention to. Yeah, I mean, all of the reports that we submit to 
Congress are public and they're on our website. And we especially have the comments that we provided to the White House Interagency Working Group on Mining Regulations and Law, the, the recommendations that recently came out. We also have our press releases in response to them. And, you know, I think it's a, a fine line that we're trying to walk here, supporting, obviously, the administration to advance our domestic mineral capabilities and also ensure that we are a leader globally. We want to be the leader globally, but we definitely want to develop those technologies and the resources domestically so we can be in control over how it happens and then where it goes. Dan, you know, I do love the fact that the one thing we don't have to do anymore when we enter a room talking about mining or minerals is justify why we need mining or minerals. The first decade of my career, it was, and even the first seven years here at NMA, people would say, oh, oh, we still mine or we still need mining. And I guess that meant people thought that modern society doesn't require mining or the modern economy doesn't require mining. So I'm happy that the general public is aware of the connection to their quality of life and modern life with mined products. I'm just hoping that we don't have to rely on other countries to develop them, but we can rely on our own good people and technology to rely on them primarily and then help the rest of the world develop their sectors as well. Well, great. This is excellent. I really appreciate you taking the time, Veronica. I've certainly learned a lot, and I suspect my listeners will appreciate this conversation. Thanks for taking the time. Sure thing. Thanks, Dan. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 